Hello and welcome to the Motown Philly podcast. I'm Tim Golden and this is my co-host Jason Hall. And we are here with episode 10. That's right. You heard it. 10. This is double digits. 10, Jason. Can you believe it? After 10, the next stop is 100. And after 100, the next stop is going to be 1,000. After 1,000, 10,000. And by that time, Motown Philly will be a household word in this podcast universe. But we're just going to come back to episode 10 and take it one episode at a time. Again, I'm Tim Golden, along with my co-host, Jason. He is Motown from the city of Detroit. I am Philly from the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And we're just great to be with you today on this new episode. Jason, the love just keeps pouring in from people who are listening and sharing and I just want to take a moment to thank everybody for doing all that you're doing to support us. We we don't take your support for granted. It means a lot to us. We believe we have a brand here at Motown Philly. And as we continue to carve out this space in the podcast universe, we just want you to know that we acknowledge we could not do it without you. Isn't that right, Jason? That's so true. Um, we're just excited and we're glad that you know, what we are doing, this is resonating with our listeners and that you are not just listening, you're sharing, you're having conversations about it. Tim and I have often, or have at least once or twice thought about what if we made a forum, whether it's a Zoom, a Zoom caller, or we got together and just for an hour or so talked about some of the topics with some of our listeners. But we're still working on ideas to to create more space to have you know, some real in-depth conversations about uh, some of these topics. And we're going to figure it out. We we love this podcast platform and what we're doing. But I think, Tim, we would dive a little bit deeper if we if we somehow found some some made some time, not found, but made some time to to have these conversations, you know, off the air, if you will, or maybe on the air if we're doing some type of Zoom call, because you guys are talking back to us and you're giving us these these uh, these responses that are encouraging us and then inspiring us to continue. If if I'm honest, we've had 10 episodes. Today m- makes our 10th episode and I just I feel like this is light work. Like this is this is easy. Um Tim and I, I guess we can't wait to if if somebody starts paying us to do this, it, it, it'll still be the same way. This is not a duty. We get to do this with you guys, um, with each other, and we're loving every second of it. That's right. We sure are loving every second of it. And I'm looking forward to next year, 2023. We're coming up on the last couple of months of 22. And Jason and I just wanted to spend the rest of this year getting a rhythm with the two of us, being consistent, making sure we're giving you all the quality content that we know we're capable of delivering. And I think next year you're going to be in for, uh, the Motown Philly family is going to be in for some real treats. We're looking to begin inviting guests on the show and the guests are gonna be people who are subject matter experts in their field uh, as it relates to communication, connection, and community. And you're going to find there's all sorts of angles and ways that we do these things and that we're looking forward to sharing the knowledge of those who are experts with all of you. So just hang in there with us. We're coming up on the end of this year and next year, there's going to be more in store, much more. So Mm -hmm. thanks again. Well, Jason, last week we did belonging, part one, communication and belonging. And Mm -hmm. we had a wonderful statement. We centered our episode nine around a wonderful, insightful statement by that extraordinary actress, Viola Davis, who Mm -hmm. is absolutely I mean, she is just my favorite, one of one of my favorites, uh, for sure. 
Right. And and she talked about authentically being oneself and learning to belong to oneself. And we spent a lot of time last week talking about that. And we talked about giving yourself the love and trust that's given you because you are, you be- we belong to others before we belong to ourselves, mm-hmm. right? And right. part of the process of growth that we looked at last week is figuring out what happens when we emancipate ourselves from the belonging to others and then begin a process of belonging to ourselves. And so that was a great discussion. Yes. And, and, and this week, Jason, we want to take it up another notch. And this is part two of belonging. And we're going to look at belonging in terms of what it means to belong and belonging in relationship, I should say, to others. And more specifically, how our communication with each other is influenced by perceptions about whether or not we belong in the spaces in which we find ourselves. So first, I want to talk about, I want us to talk, Jason, about boundaries. Right? Okay. Because boundaries help establish communication practices. Right. Let's, let's talk about two of our favorite comedians, Jason. Martin Lawrence and Ricky Smiley. <laughs> I laugh when I just mention their names because they are, they are very funny comedians, very accomplished. Mm-hmm. And I think you and I agree, Jason, comedians are very gifted communicators. Could you talk a little bit about how comedians are so gifted at communication and how what they do embodies what we're trying to accomplish here at Motown Philly in terms of communication, connection, and community? Talk about that a little bit, Jason. Definitely. Um, Like Tim's mentioned, like Martin Lawrence, uh, Ricky Smiley, uh, there's their comedians that we we marvel at. Like, for example, Dave Chappelle. It's when when you look at them on the surface, they are we can just call them mere comedians. But when you truly dive deep into their craft, their art form, you truly understand that they're excellent communicators, and they they use, and I, I want to call it our formula, Tim, um, the communication to create connection, to then create community. Like these, these comedians, these comedians that we call legends, these comedians that we look to and we laugh with and at, like these are individuals that have an in easy ways, maybe to us, more on ways that are unconscious of us that they have mastered um, and their ability to convey stories and to suck us into that story and then to literally take us in one direction, but with a punchline, bring us in the other direction, and which results in a lot of times like visceral, like just laughs uh, where we're laughing out loud and where our bodies are having uh, a reaction and our hearts are overjoyed. Comedians are excellent storytellers and they help to really tell stories. Uh, uh, there's a story, I, I'll tell one and then and Tim will tell the other one. And if you guys are laughing at this, this is fine because Tim and I are probably going to laugh too. Uh, my favorite one of my top, my top, top two favorite comedian is Martin, Martin Lawrence. Uh, this is Motown Philly. And if you're familiar with the Martin show, the setting was set in the scene uh, or, or the city of where, where I grew up in, which is Detroit. So a lot of, of who Martin was, he, he, he every, every black male in Detroit and probably outside of Detroit, if you grew up around there, we thought we were Martin, like we thought we were him. And um, 
Tim is going to bring up, Tim is going to talk about Ricky Smiley, but in introducing boundaries, Tim brought up last week how Brother Man was often, often found himself in Martin's house. And talk about boundaries. That dude had no idea of what boundaries were, his his certain perspective of what boundaries, where they began and where they ended, he he knew not of. So Martin often found this man in his in his house, in his apartment, in his refrigerator. And each time Martin was like, brother man, bro, bro, what what are you? And he, I'm just in here and I'm meeting a couple sandwiches. And it's just, it's just like, and the audacity that was on Martin's face that this dude thought he can cross his own personal space of his apartment by going through his window. He didn't even use the front door. He was going, and he thought this was okay. And Martin's, he looked at him with a sense of incredulity into to, to like, are you nuts? And it was, it's, it was fascinating to me to know that like Mart, from Martin's perspective, he was totally in in bounds to be like, yo, I should you like what you're doing is illegal. But brother man was like, bruh, you know, he was so chill about it. Like, I'm just helping myself. What's yours is mine, and what's mine is yours. That's not true, though. That's not true, though. And um, and we often found those scenes when when brother man found himself in his apartment just hilarious. But that's a for us. That's a great example for me. That's a great example of truly understanding that there are boundaries. Um, there, and- there are boundaries, Jason. And one of my favorite lines from Martin in the context of his interactions with Brumman was, hey, Brumman, you got to step. You got to step. You got to step. <laughs> you got to go. You got to get out of my house. Right. Notice that Martin's mode of communication is directed at Brumman because Brumman is in a space where he does not belong. Mm. There is no belonging. So whether or not we belong in a certain space, whether or not we have transgressed a boundary Mm -hmm. is in some sense going to determine our mode of communication. Right. Right. Mm. And so, and that's the importance of, that's the connection between the example that Jason just gave and and what we're doing here at Motown Philly, because what we want to talk about now, again, is how belonging will direct the mode of communication. And and I suspect that when somebody transgresses a boundary, you are not going to communicate with that person the same way that you would if that person respects a boundary. So for example, if Brahman had a habit, not so much of, of coming in through the window, but maybe uh, knocking on the door or pulling Martin aside in the hallway and saying, listen, man, I'm down on my luck. You think you could have a sandwich? You think I could come in and, you know, get something to eat? I mean, that would still be considered an imposition in some ways, right? Some people would even view that as a transgression of a boundary. But the point the respect is, was there though, right? At least there was enough respect way. there, right? So, so boundaries in this context are part of belonging, and they're an important part of belonging because boundaries let us know who belongs and who doesn't. Yeah, who, and the response that we might get, yes, from a, right. a from from an, a boundary being crossed crossed or some type of infraction that has like that's right like that that is communication in and of itself sorry about that no 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 that's right boundaries matter because boundaries connect to belonging and Mm -hmm. belonging connects to communication so if you transgress a boundary like Brubman, then you can expect to get a response like the one he got from martin you got to step 
you got to go. And depending on whose boundary you cross, you might get a different kind of response. Right, right, right. Uh, could we, could we, could we say that the definite transgression or the the crossing of a boundary is actually communicating? Like, I'm true in silence. If I breach or cross over or infringe upon someone's boundaries, I am communicating something implicitly. Absolutely. You are communicating non-verbally a fundamental disregard mm -hmm. for that other person, for the yeah. dignity of that other person, mm -hmm. for the respect due that other person just as another person. Right. Without words being even uttered. Without words being used. I mean, you could you listen, what Brahman is doing by entering in from the fire escape through the window into the kitchen and make himself a sandwich is burglary. <laughs> That's a crime. You're breaking and entering with the intent to commit a crime inside the house. He's committing a crime. If you walk up to someone and you touch them inappropriately, that is a crime. It could be battery, it could be assault and battery if you put the person in fear and you don't have to say anything. So the communication, you're right, Jason, that's an excellent point. The communication is still there. It's just nonverbal. But what you don't give verbally, you are likely to receive verbally, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or maybe even non-verbally. Mm -hmm. If the classic example is you reach out and you you touch a woman inappropriately and you get smacked, right? There is there is communication in right, both right. directions, right? right? There's a the 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 nonverbal communication of the crossing the boundary, and then there's the nonverbal communication of the response, and there may be some verbal communication. It will likely be hostility. Why? because you have crossed the boundary and you do not belong in that space. Yes. Right. Yes. So, so, so that's, that's, that's a good point you make. Yeah. Cr crossing boundaries is communicating breach a breach of boundaries is communicating and it's, it can be, it can be. And we'll talk about this later. Uh, sometimes or maybe oftentimes a sign of hostility mm -hmm. that's right that's right that's right so right. we'll come back to that mm -hmm. so jason talked about martin lawrence i want to talk about ricky smiley ricky smiley has a character in his comedic arsenal mm -hmm. named little daryl and little daryl is Ricky Smiley's version of Brahman. And on one of the episodes of Ricky Smiley's TV show, I don't know if he still has it, but he had a TV show some years ago called The Ricky Smiley Show. Him and his family had gone away on a vacation and everybody was packed up. Uh, he had to come back home to get something. Mm -hmm. And when he came back into his house to get something, little Daryl, and little Daryl's a kid that lived like next door. Little Daryl was sitting at the kitchen counter eating a bowl of cereal. And Ricky Smiley walks into his house. When you go away and you come home and nobody else is there, you expect your house to be what? Empty. So he came home and there was little Daryl sitting on the counter, at the counter, uh, eating a bowl of cereal. And Ricky Smiley just looked at him as if to, as if to say, again, non-verbally communicating, what in the world do you think you're doing? And this was Lil Daryl's response to the look. Quote, <laughs> I can't even get it out. <laughs> He's eating the most cereal and Lil Daryl says, quote, y'all got wick cereal. <laughs> all up in his stuff like and, and i mean my first response was to just burst out laughing because i'm thinking to myself 
So what if they do got weak Siri? I mean, what are you doing in his house? Exactly. Like you live there. Like, and then the critique, though, the critique of it all, right? right? And you, you got the nerve to come into his space, transgress his boundaries, and offer a, a sort of pejorative comment as a, some kind of criticism. Like, y'all got Bruh, weak you are, you No, you are on something. Like, think about <laughs> that. Like, so you think about the first scenario of Martin. Your boy, bro, man, just coming in to eat. He ain't talking about what <laughs> what Martin has or had doesn't have in his house. Though you go to another level when you're little Daryl and you are caught in the act, and then you got commentary on top of it, negative commentary. And little Daryl's character has like a stream of snot running down his nose. Like he is, he is, he's not exactly a portrait of social graces, right? Mm-hmm. And and these two characters, Brumman and Lil Daryl, come to us from a comedic world. But Jason and I think they are wonderful examples mm-hmm. of the point that we're trying to make tonight, which in part is boundaries are healthy because they determine who belongs. And based upon whether or not you belong, that will, in some sense, determine the mode of communication to you, mm-hmm. right? Because of the communication, the mode of communication that has been directed at you. If I go home and somebody's sitting in my house eating a sandwich and they say, you ain't got no miracle whip, right? I, I'm just, I, I'm just like, dude. It's already I, bad enough you in my house. Right, <laughs> like. Like I'm about to, do you know, do you understand that I'm about to body slam you, pick you up, and then toss you out the front door? So it, it is, but again, the hostility that is engendered that I just spoke of, right, is is really a communicative response to a communication to me that says. I don't really care what your boundaries are. I don't care if I belong in your house or not. I'm going to be there. And my reply is, you know what? Check this out, dog. You don't belong here. So I have to forcibly (laughs) remove you from the premises. So I think when it comes to belonging, these two examples provide such powerful material for us to reflect upon in terms of how healthy boundaries are and how boundaries determine belonging and how belonging determines communication, connection, and community. True. Um, I think, you know, even as we open this up, I'm just thinking like, whoa, this, there's probably a part three that could be brewing that could be more of a, more down your lane of a philo- philosophical ideology of, of what boundaries are, but what we're learning thus far, especially in this episode, is like breaching of boundaries, more or less, it, not just on a personal level, on a corporate or international level, like that's a hostile act, bro. He almost period. That's right. That's right. And here's what's interesting. Ghosting is a communication. Ghosting? Ghosting. Yeah. The social phenomenon of ghosting is disappearing. Yeah, if you cross somebody's boundaries, they person might say, "Well, you know what? You've gone too far, and now you've communicated a disrespect for me, and I'm going to do the same for you by basically disappearing, blocking you, what have you." I I don't want to go. We can go down a number of rabbit holes there. <laughs> I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole, Eesh. but. I just want to say that first and foremost, uh, belonging is in some sense about belonging is connected to communication through the notion of boundaries. So that's one of the ways that we belong with others is in some sense, we determine who is allowed into our spaces and who is disallowed into our spaces and whether or not those boundaries are respected will determine how we communicate with those who have either respected our boundaries or who have disrespected them. So 
Let's let's let me see if I can ask you a question to see if we can make even more clarification to what we I believe we're doing already. Is is there a way to articulate even better the idea of what we talked about last week? Belonging, learning the process or the journey of belonging to ourselves you know, after, of course, belonging to our parents or our parentals, if you will. And as we negotiate this outward sense of belonging or that is coupled with healthy boundaries, like, is there is... Yeah, so so good. So this is good, Jason, because I think the very notion of a healthy boundary presupposes a sense of belonging to oneself in healthy ways. If we can achieve the state that Viola Davis says we ought to achieve of learning to belong to ourselves, then we will be healthy enough to recognize who belongs in our space and who doesn't. Oh, Tim. <laughs> and and if you if you don't I mean, you know, if I am, if I am not able to set boundaries, then I am not able to discern who belongs and who doesn't. And therefore the communication and the connection and the community that I build are fundamentally inadequate and corrupt. Flawed, Flawed, corrupt, like messy. Because Uh I don't know. I don't know who belongs and who doesn't. And the reason I don't know who belongs and who doesn't is because I first do not belong to myself. I do not care for myself and trust myself enough to say, okay, these are the people who I'm going to allow in my space. Uh And if I see you here, you don't belong here. So I need to do whatever I can to remove you from that space to reinforce my boundary. But Uh if you don't have that sense of self-care, your life will fundamentally be chaotic. This is the problem that so many people have with codependency. So many are so focused on living life from the outside in that they will just allow anyone into their space so long as that person is affirming them or giving them something that they need externally. And this just makes for all manner of chaos in mm. the self. Mm. And, and you, don't, you don't know who belongs in your space because you don't first belong to you. And that is a real, real problem. Oh, no, that resonates so heavy, bro. I mean, I just think of a porous, porous, multiple, multiple openings, if you will, um, membrane or or organism or even our skin like it's just like there is no gateway and it's just just imagine a house without windows bro imagine a house without doors imagine the house without walls bro right <laughs> you won't That's just right. have one bro man up in your house right the neighborhood this this is a playground essentially because so, it's right. open it's open. And so the questions that I have, the question that I want to pose, Jason, to our listeners is, do you belong to yourself thoroughly enough to be able to set boundaries? Who are the people in your life? Do you Are you allowing people in just because you are looking to get something from them? Mm-hmm that will affirm you and make you feel better. And the reason you're doing that is because you first don't feel good enough about yourself. I want to acknowledge this is not an easy thing to do. Jason and I do not have all the answers. I am still struggling in some ways with, with this. I mean, in the interest of being vulnerable, a lot of people who have issues with self esteem or codependency have a real struggle and it's not always easy. This is why so many people fall into abusive relationships. Mm. The relationships Mm. are abusive because people are unable to set a boundary and they're unable to say, I deserve better than 
this Mm -hmm. and I don't want to have to tolerate this. Mm -hmm. And because they don't think enough of themselves, they are allowing others into their lives and the communication, the connection, and the community is corrupted. Mm. And their lives are a relational mess. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it takes time and effort and, and therapy in mm-hmm. many cases. Work, work. Work, and it's just and it's constant self-examination Mm-hmm. Like, what am I doing? What am I mm-hmm. doing? You know, why, why does this person make me feel this way? Why do I, why do I feel so badly every time I talk to this person? Mm-hmm. And, and do I deserve better than that? Is, are my interactions with this person and the way this person causes me to feel, are they, are they my, am I responsible mm-hmm. for that? Because mm-hmm. I do believe we can make people feel things, but I also believe we can we can put a stop to it mm-hmm. by either curtailing or eliminating interaction with people who cause us harm by setting boundaries. But in order to do that, we have to think enough of ourselves first. And again, for some folks, that's a tall order. Some people, it's easier than others. We have traumas. We have difficulties we have to work through to get there but I don't know Jason about you but here at Motown Philly we've never been afraid to roll our sleeves up and get down to the emotional nitty-gritty of what it takes for us to be better people and and I think that's where uh where I want to leave I don't want our I don't want us to leave this topic with our listeners thinking this is some easy linear process and you just learn how to set boundaries and that's it no, it's going to require some work. Yeah, I think if if you have two models, one is one model of 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 this connection. I'm sorry, communication, connection, and community that strives for health. There is a non-linear approach or journey, if you will, of of practicing good behaviors, of understanding and negotiating your boundaries, along with your own personal proclivities, if you will, that makes you susceptible to just going in a dance sometimes. But when you have that community, if you're in the healthy model of of communication, connection, and community, like you get to have healthy dialogue with yourself, you get to have healthy dialogue with potentially an individual, like like I have with Tim to kind of to kind of logically reason. And when you have community, you have that support as you go through it. But if you're the person who doesn't on the other side, have a good model of, of connect of communication, connection and community, like there is at no point, whether you're having that, that dialogue with yourself, as far as communication, and when you extend out to the, uh, an individual like it's it's still it's still gray it's still not strong you don't have people in your life that will point you in the right direction or give you sound advice and then your the community is not strong to support to support you if you're in a model that that doesn't start at that fundamental level of 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 having healthy dialogue and understanding your your place of belonging it really starts at you with you first um, from the you know from your health from a healthy perspective as you just struggle to move you know and and struggle to move forward let's let life is not it's not a it's not a walk in the park it is a struggle to grow and to learn and to to stay in the path and go through hardships but continue to move forward even if you fall down or make a mistake that's that's so true jason and we just we just want to reinforce the idea again, Jason and I don't have all the answers, but we're hoping that through our conversations and through the content that we give you, that you can begin at least to start asking some of the right questions. Definitely. Am I setting boundaries? If I am, who's transgressing them? If I'm not setting them, why am I not setting them? So mm-hmm. these are just important questions to ask. And we know that we have a, <clears throat> excuse me, we know that we have a broad spectrum of listeners and people who may have a variety 
of challenges they need to overcome. We just want you to know we take that into account and we know this is not the easiest thing in the world to do, but we hoped at least in this first part of our conversation through the use of comedy to sort of lighten the load a little bit and just get us thinking about this idea of boundaries. So Jason, I, I wanna shift gears here now to talk about barriers. Mm. And I wanna talk about barriers and make the point that boundaries are things that we establish on our own. Barriers are things that are imposed upon us from without. True. A boundary is a necessary, setting a boundary is a necessary task of self-care. Mm -hmm. Coming up against a barrier is a disturbing force of social and political and cultural oppression. Mm -hmm. and, and so a barrier is something more sinister than a boundary, I think, because a barrier is imposed upon us as opposed to the boundary, which is something that we set ourselves. Mm -hmm. So let's consider this scenario, Jason. Suppose we have a young, young brother, an entrepreneur, and his name is Raheem. And Raheem is on his way through uh, a fine upper end department store. And he's looking at clothing and trying on things and doing what any shopper would do in that environment. Mm -hmm. He's out of uniform today. He mm -hmm. is a, Raheem is a, is a research scientist. He works mm -hmm. at a local university and he had some time off and he decided that he was just going to take a break today. So he put on some sweats and he was kind of bumming it, but he's certainly upper middle class, more upper than middle. And he's considered, I think, by all accounts to be fairly successful. So the store clerk a store clerk begins to follow him and ask him if she can help him. He says, no, thank you. I'm just browsing. And he looks some more. And then a security guard comes up to him and says, sir, can I see your ID? And he says, why are you asking me that? And then the next thing you know, the police are called and he is standing there in handcuffs, trying to explain to the police who he is and what he does. And eventually he's let go and without incident and he goes about his day. Unlike Lil Daryl or Brahman, there is a message sent to Raheem mm -hmm. that he, there's a communication to him that is hostile and the communication to him is hostile because a barrier has been erected and imposed upon him that tells him he does not belong in the space he is in. Mm -hmm. So once again, we have a notion of belonging or not belonging that drives communication. Mm -hmm. And in the process of erecting a barrier, society can also then transgress boundaries. So boundaries perhaps resurface here in a social and political context that is much more problematic than Brubman or Lil Daryl because Raheem as an African-American man can't tell the police, get to step, can't tell the police, get out of my house, mm -hmm. can't tell the police you're transgressing my boundary. And so barriers set barriers set the tone for communication based on whether or not people appear to belong in certain circumstances. If Raheem's name was Jack Murphy and he was white, 
and he was in a similar situation and on his day off, then I think our listeners can probably tell right away, it's unlikely that that would have happened to him. So it's an interesting world we live in when both barriers, when barriers determine belonging, which in turn determines modes of communicative action uh, in a way that's very different from the way the boundaries do it. What are your thoughts on that, Jason? I think as we mention and bring up the term now barriers as opposed to boundaries, I I wonder if there is a duplicity when we speak of barriers, because if you and I are on one side of the barrier, one side of the fence, if you will, and this fence, for example, for this example, is a barrier, like it is, it is inhibiting, it is, it is uh, guarding off it is protective, not for us, it's protective in a way for the person who is imposing this particular barrier. So that's what it looks like from us on the inside. It looks, it, it can look like a some type of a chain link fence or an electric fence that if you near it, you get shocked and you feel some hostility or you feel some, some, some communication of aggression because a boundary, in, in other words, is being breached. But my point to that, to that same point, the person who is imposing what we know on one side to be a barrier, is that socially a, an actual boundary for them who is creating? Is it like, what does it look like from that, from like, from the person who is supposed to be made for well, the barrier, let's call it a barrier. The barrier is made for it. If it feels like a barrier, but the person who was actually constructing the barrier, is it yet on this side of the fence? That's a, it's a barrier to you, but it's a boundary for me. So, well, so that's interesting. And I, I want to, I want to uncover some things here. I don't think that individuals erect barriers. I, I think barriers have a social, cultural, and political dimension that boundaries do not. Mm-hmm. Systems erect barriers, not people. It's sort of like the difference between racism as a, I don't, I don't think necessarily that individuals are racist. I think individuals are bigoted, perhaps prejudiced, perhaps having racial animus toward others, but I think systems are racist. And there are barriers. And so in in that context, I think a barrier is not something that an individual erects, but these barriers are the result of patterns of social thought, cultural practices, political thinking that have shaped the way that we see certain groups of people. And the culture tells us that you don't belong here. And to certain people of certain cultures, the barriers appear to be boundaries. So for example, I'm thinking, Jason, of the great playwright, African-American woman playwright Lorraine Hansberry and her play A Raisin in the Sun. Mm -hmm. A Raisin in the Sun was a play where the plot was there was a Black family who was trying to move, who ultimately was trying to make their way in the world. And they they were, in the play, they moved into a white neighborhood outside of Chicago, I believe it was. And there was a white citizens group who came along once they saw the black family had moved in and the white citizens group offered to purchase the house for more than what they paid for it if they would just agree to move out. So in that instance, for the white folks who live in that community, they see 
their gesture as a boundary that protects them from the influence of having Black people live in their neighborhood and watch their property values drop, right? Mm -hmm. But society, their culture, the white suburban culture has actually erected that barrier and the individual whites participate in the erection and maintenance, I'm sorry, the individual whites participate in the maintenance of the barrier as though it is a boundary when it really is not. And so I think that might be a way to clarify some of the points that you were making or some of the questions that you were just asking. Does, does that help? Does that help shape the conversation better or? I think it does. No, 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 no. I think you're, you did well with that uh, to have the understanding that I think you went deep and that's, that's another podcast to, to mention, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You said you, it's hard to, from your perspective and how you understand what racism is, you said it's hard to to say that a person, correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. a person can be deemed as racist because it's it's hard to to really flesh that out in an individual. However, it can be more, I guess, evidential, if you will, like this, these are there are certain factual, logical, preconceived structures that creates noticeable uh, distinctions, if you will, that this, this is clearly, something is clearly unfair, or something is, 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 is an actual, uh, like I said, construct that says this should or should not happen to a certain type of people, and so on and so forth. Like, redlining is like that's a racist construct like exactly in other words redlining is a barrier that many individual right whites will treat as a boundary mm-hmm. but it is a barrier because it is essentially the institutionalized practice and what institution am i talking about i'm talking about the institutions of banking and real estate Mm -hmm. and finance that Mm -hmm. draw lines and say these are for them in their view these are these are means for us to protect uh, property values of white people but then there's another system that is called in to enforce the redlining and that is the criminal justice system so now you have police officers and policing in white communities that will see Raheem or Jamal and will say, you don't belong here. And they will communicate with them sometimes by killing them mm-hmm. in a way, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That says you, you got killed because you didn't belong here. Mm-hmm. You breached. You, you breached. This was a hostile this this was a hostile act that's and right you breached you that's cross right. a boundary for us a barrier for you guys and when you do that hostility is something that escalates to more hostility a lot of times hostility, yeah. yeah it's it's not a lot of times it's not necessarily an equal act of hostility that's right but if we go beyond the encounter between the police officer who kills Jamal or Rahim and Jamal or Rahim, what we see is an institutionalized erection of a barrier through the institutions of real estate, banking and finance and criminal justice that has said these spaces belong to certain groups of people. And so a barrier then is imposed upon Jamal and Rahim in an exclusionary sense Notice that goes back to our definition at the beginning. It's not a boundary that they set mm-hmm. to help them be healthy. It is a, a barrier that society, culture, politics erects on an institutional level mm-hmm. to create a sense of belonging such that if you are ever in a place where we don't think you belong, 
we can now engage a mode of communication that is openly hostile mm. and in many cases lethal. Mm. Mm. And this is the real, real sinister part of barriers. And, wow. and we have what we have to figure out, I think, as a society mm -hmm. and as a culture mm -hmm. and in our in our political lives mm -hmm. is how we can begin to dismantle barriers so that people are not perceived as belonging and so that we don't have escalated hostile modes of communication that end up with someone being shot and killed and shared on social media virally. What you say is, is what you are saying and what we are talking about, to me, I'm drawing a sense of like understanding the underbelly or the innards, if you will, of society. You mentioned, you mentioned real estate. It houses people. Um, banking. We put our money in banks. We, the, the, the nation, the country, um, understanding the financing that of, of, of governing that particular, are, are the money that we take in and that we spend out. And then that flowing over into the, the um, criminal or the, the, the justice system or the, the, the governing system of of the law, if you will, that that polices the people of the country, like all you're you're describing are societal pillars, and if it's in if it if if boundaries if 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 horrible boundaries if broken boundaries if if barriers sorry barriers are there to be as an as a deterrent for a certain demographic of people you know it's it is it is it is it can it is very it can be and that's how it is it can just be very a corrupt a corrupt institution or culture or or society if it's because those are fundamental to who we are it's, it's fundamental. That's fundamental to who we are, Jason. And this conversation about barriers is reminding me of a wonderful book called The Color of Law. And hmm. the book is written, the, book, the title of the book is The Color of Law, A Forgotten History of How Our Government Segregated America. And the author of that book is Richard Rothstein, who at some point next year, we're going to have to try to get as a guest on our podcast to revisit this idea of, of barriers, because one of the things he talks about in the book is the institutional cooperation of banking, finance, and criminal justice in ways to keep barriers erected to keep certain spaces white and other spaces non-white. And so it's it really is sinister, Jason, yeah. the way that barriers are put on us. And it, it's, it's almost as dangerous as, well, I think they're both dangerous in their own ways. When we fail to erect, I mean, when we fail to set boundaries, notice that we get in trouble, right? when we fail to set boundaries for mm -hmm. ourselves, but we also get in trouble when we fail to tear down barriers that mm. are imposed upon us. Wow. So there wow. is this dialectic mm -hmm. of constructing and deconstructing mm -hmm. that we must be attentive to because we have to, at, on one hand, we have to always be building relationally as individuals, but on the other hand, we have to have the passionate commitment and, and the real gumption and the temerity and the fortitude to tear down barriers that keep us from, uh, from certain places. So if you're not building, if you're not building 
you're, if you're not constructing a healthy boundary and if you're not tearing down an unhealthy barrier, chances are you're not living a good life. And this yeah. is where we have to find ourselves, I think. I think that's so true. How can one, when you don't really know yourself or understand your belonging to yourself, how can you then have the, the cognitive awareness to fully understand how to deconstruct obvious barriers that are societal, hence we can't grow. Hence, we can't evolve. That's right. That's right. We can't grow. We can't evolve because at first <clears throat> we don't belong to ourselves. We're not, we're not caring for ourselves. And to care for yourself is to recognize that your identity is in some ways going to determine, at least in America and in many places in the modern West, is going to determine what barriers are erected, mm. what barriers you're going to have to tear down. And so on a, on a personal level, we have to know ourselves well enough to the point where our personality will tell us what kind of boundaries we need to construct. Mm -hmm. And part of our identity is manifested politically in that you and I, right, as Black men, in the United States, we have a certain political identity beyond our personal identity that uh, has to, that is going to encounter barriers that need to be torn down. And we have to be healthy enough to be able to maintain both of those fronts. And I think if we're not, then we're not living as good as we could be living. I didn't say it's easy, no. but we're not living as good or as healthy as we could be living. And I think that's the goal of life, like especially when you come to an awakening. And that's kind of what we talked about last week with uh, Viola's statement. Like is it, it is a journey to find yourself, to understand that you need to learn to belong to you. Like that doesn't happen at 16 or 18 or necessarily 20, 21 or even 25 or 30. But you, one needs to be aware of who they are, maybe who, you know, whose they are. And, and to hold that intention of continuing to grow in who you are and belong knowing that your first good effort of self-awareness is to understanding like you should belong to you first as you begin to venture out um, more in this world and understand what injustices might lie not just to you the individual but to the society that are around you I think that's true, Jason. We find justice at the intersection of ethics and politics, mm. at the intersection of what is right and what we believe the state can make right for us. And I think what is right is that we erect boundaries. What is right is that we construct boundaries for ourselves and that we deconstruct or dismantle boundaries, barriers rather, mm -hmm. that are imposed upon us. Mm -hmm. Jason, the, I just got finished teaching Socrates to my students in Introduction to Philosophy. Yeah. And there, it, this is a little story about how Socrates became who he was. He, he had a, a good friend named Chirophon. And Chirophon went to an oracle. So in, in ancient Greece, if you were a spiritual person and you had a question about something, you would go to uh, the temple of a god and there would be a spiritual medium there. Mm -hmm. And you would ask the question to the medium and the medium would go off and the medium would come back with an answer. 
So Chiron went to the temple of the Oracle at Delphi, the god Delphi. And he asked the Oracle, Chiron said, who is the wisest person alive? And the Oracle went away and came back and the Oracle said, it's your friend, it's your best friend, Socrates. So Chiron went back and told Socrates, basically, yo dog, check this out. <laughs> you ain't gonna believe what happened to me today. And Socrates was like, what happened, man? He was like, man, I went to the Oracle at the temple at Delphi and asked the Oracle who the wisest person in the world was. And the Oracle came back and said it was you. And Socrates was like, get out of here. So from that moment on, Socrates said, I'm going to go on a mission to prove that the God has to be wrong because surely there's so many other people in this world who are much, much wiser than I am. Mm -hmm. And so he began going around the city of Athens, asking people who he was sure knew more than he did questions about what they did. He went to politicians, he went to poets, he went to artisans, he went to people who he met on the courthouse steps, strangers, friends, etc. And he said, what I soon discovered was that they thought they knew much, but knew very little. And I didn't think I knew anything. And it was in recognizing how much I don't know that the Oracle was right. That <laughs> real wisdom is in, check this out. You ready for this? Real wisdom is in knowing yourself and knowing that you do not know all there is to know. The inscription on the temple, on the facade of the temple of the Oracle at Delphi read, know thyself, mm. know thyself. And so we end up with a Socrates who doesn't really know much of anything, but who says, at least I know that I don't know and I am far better off than someone who does not know, but believes that he does. And so when we know ourselves, we can get very far. And Jason, I think Viola Davis was right. When we belong to ourselves, mm -hmm. we can get even farther. When we belong to ourselves, we can construct boundaries and we can deconstruct barriers love it love it that's a bow on it right there bro that's a bow i think so man well jason episode 10 how can they find you on social media man look for me on ig at the speakers mechanic that's at the speakers mechanic all one word and you can find me on instagram at a good golden man. You can find me on Twitter at DRTJ Golden ESQ. That's at DRTJ Golden ESQ. And there's three things in life that are certain death, taxes, and I am the only Black person in Walla Walla named Tim Golden. So you can find me in on Facebook in Walla Walla at uh, Tim Golden. City so nice, you had to say it twice. Wild Wild Washington is where I live, but Philly is where I'm from, and Detroit is where he's from. Thank you so much again for a wonderful time in this past hour. We're just thankful. Thank you for grateful. Jason, I just want to I just want to say how grateful I am that people are making our conversations part of their lives. I mean, what a privilege it is for you to allow us into mm -hmm. your day as you go about things, as you run errands, as you do things, even as you just sit and, and in your house and maybe you just want to hear some conversation. I'm just so thankful that you all are, mm -hmm. are having us as part of your lives. And, and I just want to say thank you for that. And Jason, I know you're grateful too. I am. I can't say, I can't, I can't say it. I can't say it enough. So keep listening. We're, we're going to keep bringing these, um, these topics that really, uh, I, we believe are profound and uh, want to be mentioned, not just mentioned, but discussed, discovered, explored. These are things 
that Tim and I love to talk about when we're not in front of a podcast mic. And we, this is why we started. We're 10 episodes in and it's because we, Tim and I have interesting conversations and they, they, they corner uh, communication, a little bit of Tim's philosophy, and we make it very practical to living. That's what Tim and I always do in just our personal conversations. And we thought that they would be intriguing and you guys have said yes. And so we want to do more. We're going for another 10 plus 10 times 10 times 10 times 10. That's right, Jason. We are going all the way and we thank you all for going all the way with us. When you share our episodes on social media, make sure you use the hashtag Motown Philly, hashtag communicate, hashtag connect, hashtag community. We love having community with one another and we are especially blessed to have community with you. We'll see y'all next week or we we will talk to y'all next week in episode 11. Wow. Motown Philly podcast. Mad love, Motown Philly family. Mad love, guys.